So what do people see from our faith community? And what's their reaction when they find out that you're a Christian? That's today on our podcast. Hey everyone, it's Karen G from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast. You can listen here every week to catch up on all of our latest sermons, and we hope that what you hear always inspires you to want more so you'll continue on your own personal faith journey. This week, we're in part three of our sermon series called Standing in the Gap. So let's kick it off to Pastor Teresa Swenson right now. We are continuing our sermon series that we started a couple of weeks ago based on the book of Nehemiah called Standing in the Gap. Pastor Jason is away this weekend. I'm Pastor Teresa. It's my joy to bring the word to you today. So we have been talking about Standing in the Gap, a picture of people of faith standing in the gap where the wall of the community of faith has broken down, has crumbled. And we're talking about rebuilding that wall so that we have a vibrant, strong faith for this generation and all the generations to come. It's a good Sunday to talk about the community of faith because this is Pentecost Sunday, which is the Sunday we celebrate the Holy Spirit being poured out on the believers to empower them to go out into the world and share with the world the gospel of salvation by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is always at work in the church, is always at work re-energizing us, rebuilding us, restoring us. And the Holy Spirit calls us to return to the church and to dedicate ourselves, our youth, our strength, our energy to build up the community of faith so that it is a witness to the world that needs to know that there is a God in heaven who loves them and who calls him into relationship with him. So we've been using as a metaphor, Nehemiah returning to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you might remember that the people of Israel had been in exile for 70 years. And then they started to return, not all at once. There were two groups that had already returned before Nehemiah. But Nehemiah leads the third group that is especially returning to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. So... When you see those old cities, you see the wall around them. And you remember that the wall was their protection. The wall was their defense. It was their defense against enemies and thieves and marauders and invading armies. So what was so special about the city of Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the place where God's people gathered together. God's people 
needed to be preserved as a people who worship the one true God. The Israelites, you remember, were called to be a people that gave witness to the God who was the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one true God, Yahweh, the God I am who I am. Just as we, as the gathered people of God in the church, are called to bear witness. Remember Jesus said in his prayer the night before he died that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so we're looking at this story of Nehemiah to see the story of rebuilding a faith community. Now, rebuilding a faith community you may realize, is harder than rebuilding city walls. It's always a problem when you add people into the picture. We can have wonderful plans if we just didn't have to deal with the people. It would be so much simpler, wouldn't it? And so we know that rebuilding is hard work. It's humbling work. It's heartbreaking work when you look at those pictures of the Ukraine and the rubble that the people are sorting through to find something they can retrieve. They are grieving, thinking about how things were. And so we know that building something new is not as difficult as rebuilding something that has crumbled. When you think of something that once was strong, that has crumbled, think about resurrecting it and how difficult that is. Think about rebuilding your home after a storm hits. Think about rebuilding your business after a financial crisis hits. Think about rebuilding your family after death or divorce hits. Think about rebuilding your health after a critical illness hits. Think about rebuilding your life after an addiction takes hold. Think about rebuilding your faith after a time it's been profoundly shaken. As a pastor, I have the privilege of walking beside people, often when they feel their life has fallen to pieces. And they wonder, they look around, and they realize their life is never going to be the same as it was before. And they ask me, where do I begin? How do I start? How do I rebuild? I especially, as a pastor, because for what I do for the li- as a living, I represent the church to people. And I hear so many stories of people so disappointed, so disillusioned, so wounded by the church that they never want to set foot back in here. And I feel like it's part of the call of God on my life to listen to their stories. And sometimes all I can say is, I'm so sorry that you were hurt by the church in that way. And so we see in the story of Nehemiah that 
the very first thing we need to do if we want to rebuild the community of faith is to hear the outcry. Those of us who remain committed to the church have to hear the outcry against abuses in the church. We have to hear the outcry of the financial abuses, the sexual abuses, the political alliances that are an abuse of the church's power and that are opposed to the gospel. These are all abuses of power. And we have to be careful not to whitewash them, not to minimize them. If we're talking about handing on a faith to the younger generation, the younger generation feels that we are not in touch with reality if we are so anxious to cover up the abuses in the church. It is cold comfort to the younger generation And I would say it's cold comfort to every generation to hear a defense that the incidence of sex abuse from clergy is only 4%, where the incidence of sex abuse from other professions is 5 to 7%. Can you hear the outcry that clergy is supposed to answer to a higher authority? So let's listen to the outcry that Nehemiah heard. And let's look at his response. And I want you to notice, as we read this, that it's an outcry from the faith community against the faith community. So I'm going to start to read from Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews, Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. So you hear Nehemiah bring us to rebuild step one. Hear the outcry. Listen to the complaint of people that see abuses in the church. And then don't dismiss it. Enter in. Enter in and feel the pain of those exploited by the faith community. Paul says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And so that brings us to step two, to rebuild a faith community. We need to face what's broken. So you know that a time of rebuilding is a time of upheaval. And that means it's a time that's ripe for exploitation. 
remember some of you, the time of Sandy. And we saw that even when people had barely realized their homes were destroyed, there were already people looting those homes. That happened to some of the members of our congregation, that right in our towns, they had to post guards on some of the streets where houses had been destroyed because people were exploiting the time of upheaval. And so we saw that people also were further exploited by contractor fraud, by contractors who took money for work that they did shabbily or didn't do at all. Because times of upheaval are times when there are cracks in the wall. This was true in Nehemiah's time. It was a time of great financial strain, high taxes from the king, and Israelites with less had to borrow from Israelites with more, who charged them exorbitant interest rates, sometimes 50%. And they had to sell their children into slavery because they couldn't repay the debt. We need to hear the outcry at these times. When we listen to the outcry, we understand that the real work of rebuilding involves rebuilding people's hearts. It involves rebuilding integrity and rebuilding trust in the community. It calls for a change of heart And the biblical word for that is to repent. To repent means to turn around and go in the other direction. And so Nehemiah calls for repentance not just in words, but in action. Rebuilding a faith community means rebuilding hearts, the hearts of other people as well as our own hearts. So listen to Nehemiah and his call for repentance from those who are exploiting others in the faith community and listen to how he examines his own heart. Nehemiah chapter 5. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Give back immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Nehemiah is examining his own heart to make sure he's not guilty of what he's accusing others of. And so this brings us to rebuild step two which is face what is broken. You see, we need to call it what it is. You heard Nehemiah say, what you are doing is not right. God is watching, and the enemies of God are watching. He calls for action for them to turn around and stop what they're doing and make amends, make it right. And then he examines his own heart. And so after rebuild step two, when we face what is broken, 
then what do we do with the community of faith? Do we leave? Do we say, I'm done there. Everybody there is a hypocrite. Nobody lives the truth of their faith. I'm never going back there. What do we do next? Well, let's see what Nehemiah does next. Rebuild step three. Return to work. Return to work with your faith community. It's a great temptation to walk away from the faith community when you've been disillusioned, disappointed, hurt. It's a great temptation to say, I'm going to go it alone. I have my own relationship with God. I'm good. Jesus and I are good. I don't need anybody else. I don't need other believers. I don't need the church. I don't believe in the church, and I'm not going to be a part of it. But Nehemiah says, don't walk away from the community of faith. There's still work to do that you can only do together. What's the work of the church, of our faith community? It's the work of loving God and loving our neighbor and showing the world the hope that we have in Christ. As we return to the work, God reshapes our hearts and he heals the wounds of our church family pain. If you have suffered church family pain, you know that it is a special category that can take a very long time to get over. But just as the therapist will tell you to return to your family of origin if you want to work out the wounds from your family of origin, you need to return to the church if you want to recover from your church family pain. And then we see that as we return to the work, that God reshapes our hearts and God brings us healing and God encourages us. Why do I need to work together with other believers? Why can't I just go alone? Because there's a witness that comes from working together as the body of Christ that doesn't come from my relationship with God alone. As many of you know, I have a giant family. I have six brothers and six sisters. I have 27 nieces and nephews. I have 10 great nieces and nephews. I always say I was born into community, so I had to learn how to navigate that pretty early in life. But, and I don't want to tell this story to idealize my family because trust me, we have every dysfunction known to man. We have every dysfunction that you have in all of your families. But we do love each other. I can say that. We do love each other. So my eldest brother, Bob, um, was a school custodian. And at his retirement dinner, uh, he had a heart attack at his retirement dinner. And he's single and never married. and, And so he doesn't have a partner to help take care of him. And so he was in the hospital, and then he was in rehab for several months. 
And the siblings were all figuring out that we needed to get an apartment for him that was going to be accessible for him when, when he got out. So we put out the call to all of the siblings and the nieces and nephews, and they came in from everywhere, from Iowa, from Maine, from Buffalo, from Hoboken, from New York City. They came. Everybody came because we were going to get this apartment ready for my brother. And it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful picture, I think, just the way the Lord gives different gifts to different people in the church. So with the family, everybody came and did what they were good at. The ones that were good at shopping, they went shopping for what the apartment needed. The ones that were good at painting and fixing things, they, they did that. The ones that were good at feeding people that are working, they went and got the food, to, took care of that. So the other people in the apartments around said, who is moving into this apartment? And how many people are moving into this apartment? And we said, oh, it's, it's none of us. It's, it's our brother. He's still in the nursing home. When he comes out, he's moving in. Only, only one person. Well, who are all of you? And what are you doing here? And we said, well, we're his family. And so many people said to us, I wish I had a family like that. That's because people see something when we all come and work together that they don't see in just our relationship with God alone. And so what is the work of the faith community when we come together? What do people see when we gather together to worship? People see that we are setting aside one precious hour of the weekend to worship God, to show that we love God. And when we go out into the community and serve together, people see that there is a God who gives his love to people to show to the people entrusted to us. Jesus said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So let's see what Nehemiah did and what the outcome was for him. Remember the last thing we heard him say was, out of reverence for God, I did not act like those who were exploiting others. So Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 16, Nehemiah says, instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. So here we see rebuild step three. Return to work with the faith community. Devote yourself. Nehemiah says, I devoted myself to this work, but not alone. He says, all my men were assembled. Devote yourself to the work with your co-laborers until you finish the work. Nehemiah reminds us that as we return with our fellow believers, that 
God sends his spirit and renews our strength, gives us courage to complete the work. And that encouragement usually comes from the brother on my right hand and the sister on my left hand. That's how the Lord makes his presence known to us, his people. And that is how the Lord makes his presence known to the world around us. You witness God's help to his gathered people. And so when all the people around them saw what they did, they realized this was done with the help of God. We talked about the exploitation that happened after Sandy, but a memory I have equally vividly after Sandy was over there in Webster Hall, a group of about 30 people came and gathered, and we prayed for the people that were suffering, and we asked the Lord to show us what we could do to help our community. And then we went out from there. And as many of you know, that wasn't just one day. We hosted laborers here that came in from all over the country. We put them up. We had cots. We, we fed them so that they could go out and work. We had a kitchen crew that worked for almost two years after Sandy, and installed 27 kitchens with funds that you all gave. Those kitchen cabinets were purchased, and we had a crew that, that put kitchens in for people that had been washing their dishes in their bathtub for a year and a half after Sandy because they didn't have insurance money to rebuild. And so there was a way that when we came together, people saw the love of the Lord in a way they could never see otherwise. Because when we stand in the gap, Jesus stands in the gap with us. Jesus is the one who says, surely I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Jesus is the one who stood in the gap between mortal death and eternal life. And Jesus' last command to us was go and make disciples of all people. That's all generations. Remember, Jesus is the one who welcomed the little children onto his lap and said, let the children come to me because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus calls us to stand in the gap as he does, to share the gospel with all generations. We live in a generation that is without hope and without God in the world, that needs to know that there is a God in heaven who loves them, who cares for them, and who longs to be in relationship with them. And remember, that call Jesus gave came with a promise. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so, if Jesus is not walking away from the church, how can we? In the name of the Father, and the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen.